This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market is your headquarters for huge Labor Day savings. This week, stock up on Frito-Lay party-sized chips. 10.5 to 20 ounce assorted varieties are buy two, get one free. That's a wow savings of up to 50% versus traditional grocery stores. Limit three free. Also, get the grill fired up with Nathan's Famous Beef Franks. 10 to 12 ounce assorted varieties are just $2.99. That's a wow savings of up to 57%. Offers good through September 3rd. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Freeman, Matt at the Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to the February 8th, 2019 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, a PhD in mathematics and a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event. And of course, one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the entire world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick. Man, it's been a long time since we talked about NASCAR. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. It has been a, a, too long of a time. Um, geez, that 2018 season ender at Homestead was crazy, 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 crazy. Any one of those four drivers, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, and then, of course, the actual champion, Joey Logano, could have won it. Uh, it was, I mean, we talked about the big three of, of Truex, Bush, and Harvick all year, but Joey Logano actually got into Homestead first and uh, had, you know, the Team Penske team had two races, essentially, they could take off uh, in that final round and just prepare for Homestead, and it showed, it paid off. He ended up, uh, you know, winning the freaking title, so congrats to Joey Logano. That was an amazing season, amazing race, and uh, dude, now we are on to 2019. Another season's about to start. You ready for nine months of fun? Yeah, uh... I mean, it starts this weekend with this is one of my favorite races of the year, and it's basically a non-race, but it, I love it. It's the uh, Advanced Auto Parts Clash, and uh, we kick off our fifth year of I can't believe it's five years, but our fifth year of on the daily NASCAR DFS coverage uh, with the podcast uh, Daytona Speed Weeks coming up, the 2019 NASCAR season. I mean, Nick, uh, I'm sure you are very excited. We have a lot to talk about in this podcast, uh, just in terms of. Uh, what we're doing at Rotoviz this year for coverage and uh, rule changes for NASCAR. And then, of course, just kind of like basic uh, information for people who might be uh, listening to the podcast the first time of how do you play NASCAR DFS. So uh, kind of start to give us some of the lowdown. Yeah, I mean, so first of all, we're we're going into a crazy 2019 year in general, as you mentioned, with the rules changes. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, going forward. But first, I, I definitely want to just dive into what's going on at Rotoviz for NASCAR DFS in 2019. Um, so obviously, Rotoviz, we, we do football. NFL is our main uh, driver of, of content and, and traffic to our site. We've also got NASCAR. We've got PGA. We've done NBA. 
Uh, we've even talked a little bit about maybe getting in tennis coverage. So there's some cool things going on at Rotoviz this year. But as a result, um, especially because of the NFL side of things, it necessitates some site changes. We got to improve our our website at Rotoviz. So uh, we've got a big effort to to really overhaul the site and make it much more user friendly and add a lot of cool new features and things like that. So uh, because of that. We can't always guarantee that things will be operating 100% smoothly, um, with, especially with you know the apps. And, and obviously, we can do articles at any time. But uh, because of that, we are going to, after Daytona, we are going to offer all of the NASCAR DFS content for free on the site. And that basically will just consist of the apps. Um, we actually have uh, a new guy who is helping us with the apps and with the data. His name is Scott Newman. Uh, and uh, just very excited to have him on board with the team. He's going to help me automate the processes that I've been doing by hand. Um, so as most of you know, I've um, pretty much done all the data collection, the data, you know, air quote scraping um, myself and by hand, and it's not an automated process. So, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a math guy, build models, and, and that's my area of expertise, but my area of expertise is not in scraping and cleaning data and all that stuff. So, it's always been a laborious process on the weekends for me. It's taken a lot of time. Um, you know, so I'm putting in 10 or 12 hour days on Friday through Sunday. My wife works Monday through Thursday. So we basically have auto opposite schedules. So I'm really excited that Scott's on board so that uh, it can free up a lot of my time. I can actually hang out with my wife. And then we can also start to get you these apps and uh, this coverage a lot quicker to you guys because uh, we'll have automated, automatic data updating automatic uh, app updating essentially it's going to be much more of an automated process so it's really cool to have scott on board this year but of course it's going to take some time to build up these these uh things you know the, he's got to take some time to to code up the automation and all that stuff and then we're going to build some new apps we're going to uh, build a lot of cool new features for you guys and we want to get all that working before we actually charge anybody for uh you know a subscription or anything like that so it's going to be free content, um, free apps, and we're going to get the apps updated every week if we can, as long as things don't break. Um, it, it will be, of course, a new process for us, so there could be some hiccups along the road. But free content, free apps, and then the podcast. And then after we're comfortable with everything um, as far as the website, as far as the apps and the data updating, uh, we may end up for you know mid-season at some point trying to do a couple single race packages to test everything out. And then if everything's going smoothly, we'll do a rest of season package from that point forward. But the real goal is to have everything awesome and just huge and, and really cool for 2020. So I'm um, very excited about the road of his content in 2019, but especially moving forward towards 2020. Yeah. So that uh, is road of his. Of course, Daytona uh, is coming up and uh, after Daytona. A lot is changing, but um, for NASCAR, there are many rules changes. The aerodynamic package is changing in 2019. Uh, talk about that, um, what we can expect to see, and, and kind of what that means for the racing that uh, we're going to have this year. Yeah, so um, <laughs> there's going to be just some very major aerodynamic changes Um so as you mentioned, so there's going to be a, what is called a tapered spacer, and that's going to reduce the engine's horsepower from 750 to 550 at tracks that are bigger than one mile long. Um, and this is all done to kind of create a draft and create uh, tighter pack racing um, because NASCAR wants wants these races to not be air quote boring or, or 
you know, have a, a runaway leader all the time. So um, this is done purely for entertainment. I know some of the drivers aren't the big fan of it because it takes driver skill out of it. It'll be more about strategy and, um, you know, trying to trying to make sure you, you have a good strategy coming down towards the last few laps of the race. So uh, these these rule changes are interesting. But again, this is for tracks that are bigger than one mile. And that includes the restrictor plate tracks of Daytona and Talladega after the Daytona 500. For the Daytona 500 and for this speed weeks, we're going with the traditional restrictor plate package that we've known in the past. Um, so all races bigger than one mile long after Daytona, or all tracks, I should say, bigger than one mile long after the Daytona 500 will have this tapered spacer to reduce the horsepower to 550. Um, there will be a couple races that have different rules with the air ducts than um, than the others. So I know Atlanta, uh, Darlington, and Homestead, and there's one other track I can't remember off the top of my head, but they'll have um, – they won't have air ducts, and then there will, all the others will have air ducts, and it, it will just create a little bit different aerodynamic package between those races as well. So that's going to be another thing we're going to have to keep track of is what set of rules are taking place at each track. Then for tracks one mile and smaller, we'll still be at 750 horsepower. So uh, I think we'll see you know, similar racing that, that we've seen in the past for, for one mile and smaller tracks. Uh, so that includes the road courses as well. Um, so they're longer than one mile. But the road courses and tracks that are one mile or smaller, uh, I think we'll see pretty similar racing to what we've seen in the past. But it's going to be crazy with these new rules changes. It's it's like starting from scratch. We have no data to go by whatsoever on these uh, new races. So uh, it's going to be a very different kind of racing. There was a test at Las Vegas last week. And uh, definitely in that little pack, air quote pack, uh, there was a lot of crazy stuff going on, a lot of passing, but it was still hard to pass the leaders. So that's something to be, you know, we're going to have to keep an eye on. Are there still going to be dominators this year? Um, and when we talk, we'll talk about dominators in a little bit, but, you know, there's still going to be guys that lead a large chunk of laps or, or will the lead keep changing kind of like, you know, the restrictor plate races tend to do. Um, of course, there can be dominators at restrictor plate races as well, but, as well, but usually it's, uh, not as frequent as every other race where there's a main dominator or, or even a secondary main dominator. So, um, yeah, lots of lots of interesting rule changes. It's going to give an interesting, uh, I guess, maybe edge in DFS for those who can really pick up on it early and figure out how to play the game early. So uh, that's exciting for DFS as well because, you know, it's it's a new game. It's like if they completely change the rules of football to being 15 yards for a first down and you could only run on – uh, first down or something. So, you know, what what would uh, yeah. NFL DFS be like? Uh, we wouldn't have any you know major data to go by. And, and let's say, yeah, let's say it was first and you had to get 15 yards for first down. You only had three downs and you could uh, choose to pass or run on first down. And then you could only pass after first down. It would be a totally different game. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of game theory. I think we'll, we'll go into the DFS side of this, and I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, oh, yeah. as we get into these races with the new aerodynamic package. Uh, before we talk uh, directly about the clash, uh, this obviously is the first episode of the season, so uh, we have new drivers on new teams uh, and some new drivers and NASCAR just in general. So talk about the new landscape that we have from the driver and team perspective. Definitely. So um, we obviously we have some some drivers that have uh, retired or are out of rides. Uh, so Casey Kane uh, was forced to retire essentially because of dehydration issues. He's just not able to stay hydrated when he's in the car, and that uh, kind of forced him to retire. So he is out of his ride at Levine Family Racing, 
And replacing him there is Matt Benedetto. So Matt Benedetto, if you remember, was at Go Fast Racing in the 32 car last year. He's moved over to Levine Family Racing. Uh, that should be a step up for Matt Benedetto. You know, Levine Family Racing was kind of uh, above the Joe Dirt, cheap, Joe Dirt cheap tier, but right at the bottom of, you know, the kind of the, the lower mid-tier cars. Um, so that should be a step up for Matt Benedetto. It'll be exciting to see what he can do in that car. Uh, replacing Matt Benedetto in the 32 car is Corey LaJoy. Uh, then, of course, we also had Jamie McMurray was forced out of his ride at Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, so Chip Ganassi offered Jamie McMurray a spot in his front office, though. So McMurray is going to be helping out the Ganassi team uh, kind of as a, you know, a corporate person now. But he will be riding in the Daytona 500 in a one-off uh, for, for Ganassi in combination with Spire Motorsports. But uh, in replacing Jamie McMurray is Kurt Busch. So he moves from Stuart Haas Racing over to Chip Ganassi Racing, and we'll be teammates with Kyle Larson. So that'll be a formidable team there. Uh, two really great racers, just just great drivers, Kurt Busch and Kyle Larson, both really aggressive, great on restarts. So that'll be interesting to see how they work together as teammates. Replacing Kurt Busch in that 41 car over at Stuart Haas Racing is Daniel Suarez. So Daniel Suarez, you remember last year, was in the 19 car at Joe Gibbs. He moves over from the, the Gibbs Toyota to the Ford at Stuart Haas, Stuart Haas Racing and is now teammates with Kevin Harvick, Eric Almarola, and Clint Boyer. So interesting to see uh, what Daniel Suarez will do over there in the 41 car instead of in the 19 car at uh, Joe Gibbs Racing. Replacing Suarez in the 19 is Martin Truex Jr., the series champion from 2017 and then almost the series champion last year. But, uh, of course, that was Joey Logano. So Martin Truex Jr. in the 19 car, that's because Furniture Row Racing shut their doors. They are no longer in NASCAR. So Martin Truex Jr. moves over from Furniture Row, which was a satellite of Joe Gibbs essentially anyway, now to the kind of the main team, Joe Gibbs Racing, in that number 19 car. His crew chief, Cole Pern, also moves over there with him. So um, that's that's pretty cool to see. We've got some changes elsewhere uh, at Richard Childress. You remember last year's Austin Dillon and Ryan Newman were teammates this year, it's Austin Dillon and Daniel Hemrick. He comes up from the uh, from the uh, Xfinity series, and he's going to be in the number eight car. So it's no longer the 31 car for Ryan Newman. It's now the eight car of Daniel Hemrick. Uh, so he'll be a rookie this year teaming up with Austin Dillon. Ryan Newman, meanwhile, moves over to Roush Fenway Racing in the number six car. So he replaces... Uh, Trevor Bain, and then you remember last year, Trevor Bain was splitting that ride with Matt Kenseth as well. So this will be Ryan Newman full-time in the number six car, teammates with Ricky Stenhouse. Finally, we've got some uh, some changes kind of in the, the mid-to-back tier drivers. So in front row motorsports, last year it was David Reagan and Michael McDowell. They have now added a third car. So it's David Reagan, Michael McDowell, and Matt Tift, who will also be a rookie. He comes up from the Xfinity series as well. So front row, very good for them, expanding to a three-car team. So uh, that is that is pretty cool to see. Um, let's see. And then in the 47 car, no longer A.J. Allmendinger at JTG Doherty Racing. It is now Ryan Priest, another rookie in the series this year, coming up from the Xfinity series. Uh, and then finally... This is not really a driver change, but it's a major, major change for NASCAR. Jimmy Johnson's new crew chief, Jimmy Johnson will no longer be paired with Chad Knauss, the crew chief that led him to seven NASCAR series titles. So the the longtime tandem of Jimmy Johnson and Chad Knauss, the legendary tandem, uh, going their different ways this year uh, with some changes at Hendrick's, Hendrick Motorsports. 
Chad Knauss now goes over to crew chief for William Byron in the 24 car. And Jimmy Johnson's new crew chief will be Kevin Mendering. So we'll have to see how that combination fares. And we'll have to see how Chad Knauss uh, helps along young William Byron. So Byron, of course, was a, a rookie last year. So it'll be interesting to see William Byron's development under Chad Knauss. More like Lord Byron, am I right? That's Nailed right. it. Uh, it. It's never too early in this season for me to get in a bad joke. Uh, okay, so that... Uh, Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Is everything sort of the preliminary uh, information for Rotoviz and for NASCAR and all the driver changes? Let's talk about Daytona Speed Weeks, uh, the clash. The Advanced Auto Parts Clash is on Sunday. It is a preseason exhibition race at Daytona with 20 drivers. DraftKings has a 125,000 GPP for the Clash, uh, which, by the way, you famously won in back-to-back years in 2016 and 17. Uh, so this is like this is your race. This is like the money-making part uh, of the year for you, which is amazing because it's like at the very beginning of the season you basically bank your your money and then you just you know kind of coast the rest of the year but uh tell us what exactly the clash is and the race format for the clash yeah exactly so uh and i didn't have a chance to three-peat last year a funny story um because i have to drive over to california to to do my lineups and everything and so when i got there morning of the race it was already full that's how hype people are for nascar so i didn't even have a chance to three-peat so i'm gonna i'm gonna count this year as my chance to three-peat <laughs> but uh so I'm I'm heading over to California to enter my lineups and all that stuff uh, the night before. So we're not going to have any issues with, with missing the slate this time. But uh, anyway, anyway, so the Clash is uh, is a 75-lap exhibition race, and it's split into two segments. The first segment is 25 laps, and the second segment is 50 laps. Uh, so drivers will, of course, get to pit after the first uh, segment and, and make some changes uh, the fact that the second segment is 50 laps means drivers will have to make a stop in that second segment as well. They cannot go 50 laps on fuel. So uh, there will be a pit stop in that second segment for every driver. It just, ma- it just depends on when will they do it. And, uh, you know, uh, does a caution come out in that second segment? That could that could definitely, uh, you know, be a nice time to pit for everybody. So we'll just have to see uh, how that second segment plays out. But uh, I'm pretty sure caution will come out because it's an exhibition race. These drivers are going to go for the win and nothing else. We always see crashes in the clash. It's usually a pretty wild race. And that wildness is what makes it a a really big uh, edge in DFS because people still uh, choose certain drivers too much and not certain drivers too little. So uh, really cool race. And then also it's only a 20 driver field, as you mentioned. Uh, The drivers that are eligible for the clash are Drivers that won uh, polls uh, for qualifying in 2018, former Clash winners, former Daytona 500 champions, former Daytona 500 poll winners, and all drivers last year who made the playoffs, so those 16 drivers. So that gives us 20 different drivers. Uh, So 
going to be a very, very fun race. Uh, the other thing about the Clash is qualifying is set by a random draw on Saturday evening at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. So there's no there's no on-track qualifying for it. It's a random draw. So sometimes you can get the faster cars, or air quote, faster cars. It's a restrictor plate race, so they always race in a big pack. Uh, and it's really hard to, to, to be faster. But we do tend to see very often, especially recently, that the Fords have been the fastest ones at the restrictor plates. So you might have some of the faster cars at the back. You may have some of the air quote slower cars at the front uh, just because it's a random draw. So that also helps shake things up for, for DFS purposes and just for race entertainment purposes as well. So it's a really cool race. Um, I love just the game theory behind it for, for DFS, obviously. And uh, of, of course, it's my favorite slate because I've won it twice. Yeah, I love the game theory on uh, kind of niche slates like this, like the Pro Bowl for for NFL DFS. Like, I, I think it's just like stuff like this is, is so cool because it is it's similar to what people know. But yet there are like enough wrinkles uh, where I think the people who can think creatively really have an edge. Um, let's talk about. Uh, especially for the people who are new to NASCAR DFS, uh, just touch on DraftKings scoring and how lineup construction works. Yeah, absolutely. So um, DraftKings is is very cool in how they, uh, I guess, do the scoring in terms of the points for finishing position. So it's exactly as NASCAR awards points. Well, it used to be exactly as NASCAR awarded points for finishing position back when they had 43 cars. Now that it's a 40-car field, NASCAR has adjusted how they award points differently. But DraftKings has an update of the scoring for the 40-car field. But it is cool. So you, you basically take your finishing position – and you take 44 and subtract the finishing position, and that's the number of points you get for finishing position. So if you finish second, 44 minus 2 is 42 points. Uh, third, 44 minus 3 is 41 points. So 42, 41, 40, et cetera, all the way down from second all the way to 40th place, which will reward 4 points. First place, you do 44 minus 1, and that's 43, and then you add a 3-point bonus, and you get 46 points. So finishing position uh, goes 46 for first, and then 42, 41, 40, et cetera, all the way down to four for last place. That's for finishing position. Now, it would be really boring if NASCAR DFS was just finishing position, so they have to add some other things for scoring. One of those things is, do you lead laps in the race? If you lead a lap, you will get 0.25 or a quarter of a DraftKings point, so 0.25 points for leading a lap. You get half a point for a fastest lap, and what is a fastest lap? Well, for every lap under green flag conditions... Uh, whichever driver completed that lap the fastest will get that half point. So it's a half a point on DraftKings for a fastest lap, and it's only under green flag conditions, where it's laps led is green or yellow flag conditions. Um, fastest lap is only under green flag conditions. So those are what we call the, the air quote dominator points, although uh, we'll have to even kind of talk about what will dominators actually be dominators going into these new these new rule packages. Maybe, maybe not. But uh, so those are what we traditionally call the dominator points where laps led and fastest laps. And then finally, there's one more kind of scoring. Uh, you get one point for place differential and place differential is your starting position minus your finishing position. So for each place that you make up, you get one point. So if you start 30th and finish 20th, so 30 minus 20 is 10. So you get 10 place differential points. On the flip side, if you start 10th and finish 25th, you lost 15 places. So your driver gets negative 15. So that is very important because uh, you can gain a lot of points if you get a, a you know a driver that you know starts 30th and finishes 8th or something like that. That's a huge amount of points. They get 
really good finishing position points, first of all, for finishing eighth. And then they also add on 22 points for place differential. Uh, that's why in NASCAR DFS, we tend to like drivers that start mid or backpack that have a chance to move up as our preferred driver outside of getting the dominators, the drivers that get just a ton, a ton of points for leading laps and fastest laps. The next preferred driver after the dominator is the guys that get a lot of place differential and finish the race very high, uh, even though they started mid or, or backpack. That will get you uh, the most bang for your buck in NASCAR DFS after the Dominator. So place differential, laps led, fastest laps, and finishing position are what goes into the scoring. As far as lineup construction, just like every other DraftKings game, you have a $50,000 salary cap, uh, but here you just get to pick six drivers that go under the $50,000 salary cap so any six drivers you want there's no you know positional restrictions or anything like that it's just six drivers fifty thousand dollar salary cap and make the best lineups that you can yeah very much um like pga dfs for for people who have played that uh nick at the beginning uh you mentioned that the next few races we have at daytona speed weeks those are going to be the last with the traditional restrictor play package uh, can you talk about restrictor plate strategy in general? Yeah. So um, first of all, restrictor plates are are literally plates that have holes cut in them uh, to a certain size, and they restrict the airflow into the engine so it limits the horsepower of the car. As a result, all of these cars go basically at the same top speed, uh, and it makes them very hard to separate from each other because you can't – you, there's no there's no uh, skill involved in it. You're not hitting the speed limits of the track. If if they didn't have restrictor plates on these, these cars would be going 220, 230 miles an hour around Daytona. But because of the restrictor plates, they only go you know w w not in the draft. They only go around 190, maybe 200 miles an hour tops. So uh, these restrictor plates restrict the speed of the car. And as a result, all these cars run in a big pack, uh, and the draft becomes very important. So the draft is uh, uh, like if you're going down the highway and you're you're behind an 18 wheeler, uh, he, you know, and you, you you're driving behind the 18 wheeler, you get better fuel mileage because what's happening is the 18 wheeler is pushing the air out of the way, and you're in this low pressure area behind the 18 wheeler. So there's less air resistance that's uh, you know causing your car to to slow down or, or less drag. So um, that lets you get better fuel mileage if you if you uh, don't have that air resistance. It's a lot easier for your car to keep that speed. Uh, same way in NASCAR, the cars in front are pushing the air out of the way, and the cars behind they get to instead of saving fuel, they get to suck up to the car in front of it, and and it'll allow them to maybe make a pass in, uh, around the car because they're they're able to go faster than the car because you know the, the car in front has air resistance and the car behind doesn't, so the car behind can suck up and then make a pass. Well. This creates a lot of passing, um, a huge pack, and sometimes it creates calamity. Uh, there can be a car that spins out in the middle of this you know, 40-car field or, or in the clash, a 20-car field, and take out 6, 8, 15, 20 cars even sometimes in one crash. So uh, that is what we call the big one. And, that, and all of this together, just the fact that all the cars run close together, basically the same speed, uh, it's very easy for them to pass each other, and then, the, and then these crashes create a lot of randomness in uh, restrictor plate racing. So uh, anybody who says they can predict the restrictor plate race is lying to you. What you can predict, though, 
is uh, the fact that certain drivers will um, be owned by DFS players more than others, and we can use that to our advantage in in DFS. So ownership percentage is something we're going to talk a lot about in restrictor plate races. And I think moving forward with these uh, tracks that are larger than one mile with these new rules, I think we'll talk a lot about ownership percentage and game theory as well early on in the season because uh, I have a feeling there's going to be much more randomness in these races than there have been in the past. And They'll be closer to restrictor plate races. They won't be restrictor plate races, but they'll be closer to them than uh, I think uh, they'll be towards traditional racing. Again, at these larger tracks, uh, the one mile and smaller, I think, like I said, we'll probably see similar racing. But yeah, so that's restrictor ra- restrictor plate racing in a nutshell. Very random, very hard to predict and, you know, finishing position, but it's a lot easier to predict uh, which drivers will be highly owned and which drivers will be lower owned. All right, so uh, for a normal race, like Daytona 500, we have 40 drivers. For the Clash, only 20 drivers. How does that change your strategy uh, for restrictor plate races? Sure. So here we want to go towards DraftKings scoring and talk about um, you know, the scoring system. So uh, obviously place differential that we talked about is very important. Finishing position is very important. Um and, and normally, we in most races, dominators would be important as well. However, the clash is only 75 laps. So if you take 75 laps, uh, uh, you know, that is less than 20 dominator points for, for laps led. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's it's not many dominator points. And it's very easy to, to get past in restrictor plate races, even if you're the leader. So, um, you know, you won't see a driver lead a ton of laps. The most laps that's been led at uh, the clash in the gen six car era which started in 2013 is 48 by denny hamlin so that's only 12 points for leading laps and he didn't even win the race he he started second and finished 13th so he actually got uh not very good finishing position points he lost 11 points for place differential which wiped out all of his dominator points so um very hard to be a dominator at the clash it has happened a couple times um where where you you know drivers have led uh, you know, 39 to, to 48 laps, like I said, with Denny Hamlin there. So Denny Hamlin in 2016 led 39, Kevin Harvick in 2013 led 40, and Brad Keselowski led 43 laps. So all of those got you about 10 uh, points, you know, 9.75 to 10.75 points for, for laps led. And also those three drivers did end up winning the race. But uh, they all, the other funny thing is they all started between 15th and 17th in the race. So um, it's very easy to come from the back to the front if you have a good car or if you're a good restrictor plate racer. And you'll notice the drivers that, that wins the clash actually tend to be the better restrictor plate drivers. So if we look at the winners since 2013, um, it's Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin, Denny Hamlin, Matt Kenseth, and Joey Logano. All of these drivers have won NASCAR championships with the exception of Denny Hamlin, who finished second in the championship one time and is just a uh, restrictor plate racing legend anyway. So... The cream of the crop still tends to rise to the top here, even in the clash. So you are going to want to try to find a guy that wins the race. You definitely want to have at least one driver in your lineup that you think has a very strong chance of winning the race. Uh, But the rest of your lineup in the clash, because it's only 20 drivers, you want a combination of finishing position and place differential. And unlike Daytona 500, where there's 40 cars, you can't come from 40th and finish third you can only come from 20th and finish, you know, third or second or whatever. So that's only 18 or, or 19 positions max that you can make up. If you started last and finished first, you only get 19 place differential points, which is great. But because there's going to be crashes probably, um, and some of those will come from the drivers that start in the back, 
you can start some drivers inside the top 10, one or two drivers inside the top 10. I wouldn't go more than that probably. Um, but, uh, generally speaking, you're going to, you're going to want to pick drivers that are outside the top 10 for your starting lineup. So, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the, the strategy here for restrictor plate races at, um, Daytona in general, but with the clash, you can pick drivers that are starting a little bit further forward and you definitely want to try to get the race winner in your lineup. So you want to pick in basically in every single lineup, you want to pick a strong driver, a strong restrictor plate driver in your lineup, at least one of them. And with 20 cars, most of them are very strong restrictor plate drivers anyway. I mean, it's close to the best 20 cars we could have here. So uh, it's going to be a very strong field. And then, of course, at that point, after that, you just want to play ownership percentages. Um, definitely get some low-owned drivers in your lineup. Uh, maybe go underweight on the higher-owned drivers, and that's going to be a really good strategy to try to get you towards the top of the leaderboard uh, in a GPP. All right, so earlier you mentioned Dominators, and uh, Dominators, the drivers who lead a lot of laps, uh, have a lot of fastest laps, uh, but the clash is only 75 laps, so... Uh, the question is, how important is a dominator for this race? How are you approaching uh, trying to get dominators? Yeah, um, so so as we talked about a little bit there, um, no driver really gets more than 10 or 12 dominator points. And that's not even every, you know, necessarily every year. Um, for example, 2015 and 2014, the, the top air quote dominators uh led only 29 and 27 laps so that's you know seven DraftKings points ballpark not very many points now again both of those finished uh second and first martin Truex jr in 2015 finished second and led 29 laps and in 2014 familiar name denny hamlin uh led 27 laps and finished first so uh yeah i mean it's 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 tough to pick dominators but the way i'm approaching a air quote dominator is like I said, I want to pick a driver that I think has a very good chance to win the race. So if you, again, if you uh, look at just drivers that have won or even finished second, uh, let's let's go through the drivers that finished second. Martin Truex Jr., Brad Keselowski, Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, Joey Logano, and then Greg Biffle in 2013. Um, so generally speaking, the first and second place drivers are some of the strongest, strongest drivers, not only in, in uh, restrictor plates, but in all of NASCAR. Um, so... You know, you really want to pick one or two drivers that you think have a very strong chance of winning the race. And very often, one of those guys will also be your top lap leader. Um, I won't really call it a dominator, but he'll be your top lap leader and get you a few extra points there. Uh, if we start looking at like third place, for example, we see we start to see a few extra names that aren't necessarily at the, the top of the NASCAR uh, leaderboards or, or um, standings. Alex Bowman and Paul Menard in 2016 or 2017 and 2016, respectively. Uh, finished third so um it you know and then and then in, uh, danica patrick your, your casey mears uh finished fourth in a couple of those races ryan blaney who's more towards the top now of course but uh you generally speaking as you go further down you get some some more interesting drivers some lower owned drivers for example danica patrick the year in 2017 the year i won uh the second of my two clash slates she finished fourth she was in my winning lineup alex bowman finished third he was in my winning lineup both of them were under 20% owned. So you do want to get some low owned drivers uh, that you know kind of start mid or back of the pack um, 
uh, Danica Patrick started 12th. Alex Bowman started 8th that year. So, and like I said, Alex Bowman started 8th and finished 3rd. He was in the winning lineup. You can pick drivers that start inside the top 10, especially if they're going to be low-owned. Alex Bowman was super low-owned just because he didn't have the name recognition, and he started 8th. And that combination uh, allowed him to just go really low-owned. And I figured if he could finish in that top 3, he'll be in the winning lineup. And what's the probability he finishes in the top 3? It's probably, uh, you know, higher than his 15% ownership. So I'm going to go overweight on him and uh, you know try to try to get uh, some exposure there, some leverage there on the field, and it worked out. And uh, so I'm always going to be searching for those low-owned drivers in in this. And then as far as dominators goes, um, I'm not really looking at dominators. I'm more just looking at one or two drivers per lineup that I think have a very strong shot at winning the race. All right, well, you mentioned their ownership percentage, which – obviously is important in any given race, but especially for uh, restrictor plate races uh, is, uh, I guess, magnified in importance. Uh, how do you use ownership uh, as projections or ownership in general uh, for your advantage with the clash? Yeah, so what I really do is I look at what, what goes into predicting ownership. Um, a lot of it is you know, past plate performance, restrictor plate performance, name recognition, uh, also, what what other industry touts pick as their their favorite plays for the slate, and all of that affects ownership percentage. So, um, normally last year I was building an ownership model. Uh, we don't have one for the for the clash just because it's uh, such a one off race and it's hard to to predict ownership percentage. But you can still get a general idea of of your gut feeling of what you think drivers will be lower owned and which drivers you think will be higher owned. Like for example, if Brad Keselowski starts in the back, he's going to be super high owned. I think. I think last year in uh, the the dual race, which is one of the qualifying races, Brad Keselowski was like 88% owned or something in the in the hundred dollar GPP, and that's just that's bananas. And then he crashed out anyway. And like, no driver should ever be 70% or 80% uh, ownership in a in a restrictor plate race. I don't care what restrictor plate race it is. So um, you you really know that certain guys will just be very chalky, or certain guys will be lower owned, and you can just Go overweight on those guys and underweight on uh, the, the you know the very highly owned drivers and that's a just a smart strategy. It's this is such a highly random race. If we look at all the drivers, uh, or if we look at like the, the DNF percentage. It's like 50% for the clash in terms of like drivers getting involved in a crash. Um, or not 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 necessarily DNF, but just in terms of number of drivers get involved in a crash because very often the crash comes on the last lap. And then those drivers just drive their wrecked cars around to the finish, uh, you know, even though they finish 12th or 13th or whatever. But the crash percentage in the clash is so high, you don't know which drivers will be involved in the clash or in the crash at the clash that, uh, you know, it, it, it just pays to leverage ownership percentage. It, and and it, it's a strategy that literally just uh, I, I can speak from experience. It prints money. All right. Let's talk about uh, cash games for the clash. Uh, what kind of edge, if any, exists for cash games? Uh, and what is a solid cash game strategy? Yeah, so cash games for the Clash, I think, are really, really horrible. Um, I actually don't – there is an edge just because it's so new in the season and people um, really don't uh, – you get a lot of new people in an NASCAR DFS, so there can be an edge in especially lower-stakes cash games. Higher-stakes cash games, I don't think there's an edge, really. It's most of the sharper players – um, you may get some new people that want to dabble in the higher stakes, and uh, you know there, there's a bit of an edge there. But really, there should be no edge in the clash. There should be no edge in cash games for the clash uh, if it was like all experienced DFS players. And that's because there's only one strategy for cash games in the clash. You start the drivers in the back, period. Um, 
you, you make whatever fits under the $50,000 salary cap with the drivers that start the furthest back. And that's literally the only strategy. And that's because all 20 of these drivers in this race can theoretically win the clash or at least finish in the top, you know, two or three positions. So if they're going to start 20th and they have the potential to finish second or third, you're going to play him. If he starts 19th, you're going to play him. It doesn't matter which driver it is. The only thing is you really need to uh, stay under the salary cap. And that, that could be hard with the random draw. If you get like Brad Keselowski and Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick all starting 18, 19 and 20 or something like that. So it's just make uh, the best lineup you can starting as far back as you can that fits under the salary cap. All right. So Nick, as you mentioned earlier, uh, qualifying is set by a random draw on Saturday evening. So we can't talk about picks really, but can you give us a few drivers that we should keep an eye on? Yeah, uh, I think the main thing is uh, the Fords have been the strongest cars in recent years for the Clash uh, and for restricted plate racing in general. Um, so you look, you know, Joey Logano won uh, two years ago, I think it was, and I think Brad Keselowski won last year. Let me, uh, yeah, Brad Keselowski won last year. Joey Logano won in 2017. So you really want to uh, get a couple Fords in your lineup for sure, especially the stronger ones, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, and uh, Ryan Blaney on Team Penske. I think all of them will be really strong, but don't count out those Stuart Haas cars. And I think uh, a very important thing, and we talked about this kind of at the top of the show with the driver changes, is a driver that could go really under-owned um, would be Daniel Suarez possibly. He's in a Ford now instead of a Toyota. So uh, he could be a sneaky one to have this weekend. He's not like the strongest restrictor plate driver, but, you know, neither was Alex Bowman or neither is Danica Patrick. And they ended up in the winning lineup. I think Daniel Suarez is somebody who could just be really low owned and he's in a Ford. He's in one of the strongest cars in the field. So um, I really like Daniel Suarez as a sneaky play going in, especially if he starts something like eight or ninth in that random draw. He's going to go pretty low owned and I'm just going to hammer him at that point. Like I'll probably have... 30 or 40% Daniel Suarez if he's going to be 20% owned or something like that uh, if he starts in that range. So really like Daniel Suarez. Um, uh, outside of that, you, like I said, you just want the top drivers uh, in terms of, of finishing potential. So I mentioned uh, Keselowski, Logano, and Ryan Blaney. Um, of course, there are a couple that aren't Fords as well with Denny Hamlin. He always tends to be really strong. Um, Kurt Busch is a really strong restrictor play racer, even though he doesn't really have the results to show for it. He's often finished second or third in restrictor play races, but he finally won the Daytona 500 a couple of years ago. Um, he could be he could be an interesting play. So really, I'm just looking at guys that I think have a chance to to win the race, like one or two drivers each lineup that I think have a very strong chance to win the race. And then filling out the rest of the lineup with place differential. But uh, I think Daniel Suarez might be my favorite sneaky play this weekend. Okay, so again, the random draw is on Saturday uh, at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. So your driver-by-driver breakdown for the Clash is coming out after that. Uh, Can you talk about the Clash content this weekend? Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, the driver-by-driver breakdown will be after the, the random draw. Uh, the random qualifying draw because it makes no sense to to break down the field if you don't know where they're going to start because starting position is one of the important factors in DraftKings scoring. However, uh, we do want to talk strategy, so we, there will be a big strategy discussion, uh, and I'm not sure if I'll put it in the same article or if I'll, I'll have a you know kind of a strategy article um, prior to the the draw, but I think that's the probably the direction I'm going to go is a separate strategy article, which will have a nice statistical breakdown of everything. So uh, you know, we talked about dominators, we talked about finishing position. I'm also going to try to create a mini model for the race in terms of predicting DraftKings points. So normally my model predicts finishing position, and from there we calculate DraftKings points. Instead, I'm going to try to create a model that predicts 
just DraftKings points. And I've got the clash data from 2013, thanks to the help of, of Scott Newman here, uh, who I talked about will be helping with the apps and the data this year. So I'm going to try to pre, you know create a model that at least predicts DraftKings points, maybe based off starting position and maybe driver-based. I'm not really sure yet how that's going to go. Uh, and it's obviously not going to be super accurate, but at least it'll give you an idea of how important it is to start drivers you know, mid-pack and further back, but also how close these points run together, I would think, and showing you that it's really okay to play Daniel Suarez if he starts ninth or eighth uh, instead of you know Brad Keselowski starting 19th. So um, you know they, they probably will still have points that run relatively close together just because of the randomness of this race. So uh, I'll definitely have a statistical article, uh, a statistical and, and breakdown and strategy article it may be in the driver by driver article. It may be separate. Like I said, I think I'm going to go the separate direction. Definitely driver by driver will be after uh, the qualifying draw that evening on Saturday. On Saturday, uh, I'll get every driver, my thoughts on them, um, and then uh, you know whether I like them for cash games, GPPs, etc. Uh, I'll kind of color code them like I, I was doing last year on Road of His Live, where uh, I color coded them by dominator, contrarian dominator, cash, you know, drivers I don't like, etc. Um, so I'll do that kind of thing as well in the article. And uh, probably Sunday morning, I will do a Road of His Live that will be behind the paywall as well. So um, a lot of good coverage for the Clash. And then, of course, awesome coverage for the duels. Awesome coverage, of course, for the Daytona 500. All right. Uh, anything else? Uh, people can subscribe to a NASCAR package for these upcoming races, right? So um, we have a, a $29 package for Daytona Speed Weeks, which will include the Clash, the Duels, and the Daytona 500. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's that's the only you know subscription-based content we'll have this year. And then we go into the site redesign and the free content for most of the rest of this year until we figure out everything, get everything up and working, and then we'll try to have more subscription-based content for you after everything is, is smooth and up and running. And, uh, yeah, that'll be the 2019 season. All right. So, everyone, do us a, do us a solid. You know, subscribe for uh, Daytona Speed Weeks. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll be good. Okay. There's a huge edge in restricted plate racing still. So you absolutely want to yeah. sign up. It's, uh, you know, it, it's just uh, three entries in the main GPP. I mean, the Daytona 500 is a $750,000 GPP this year. It's the largest they've ever had. And a hundred thousand dollar first last uh, cash position is a is double your 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 buy-in. So if you cash, you get uh, a ten dollar buy-in. You get twenty dollars. You're gonna get fifty percent or a hundred percent ROI there. Uh, so all it takes is you know one really awesome lineup, and and there's four slates to do it. So uh, that'll more than pay for the the subscription. All right, that is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Road of His Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Road of His Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Road of His Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS.
Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market is your headquarters for huge Labor Day savings. This week, stock up on Frito-Lay party-sized chips. 10.5 to 20-ounce assorted varieties are buy two, get one free. That's a wow savings of up to 50% versus traditional grocery stores. Limit three free. Also, get the grill fired up with Nathan's Famous Beef Franks. 10 to 12-ounce assorted varieties are just $2.99. That's a wow savings of up to 57%. Offers good through September 3rd. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.